Hey, everybody. Fantastic episode of The Morning Show. We talk about some of the debacles that we've seen in the DeFi and broader crypto space, specifically the bald token rug. Pulse Chain founder Richard Hart being charged by the SEC. We also talk about crypto dick butts, Ether, and CryptoPunks. You know, some of the uh, stories of the space recently with people looking for exits, uh, people potentially acquiring projects, and everything in between. Uh, for today's free NFT, go to the nifty.com slash claim and put in the password select. Solana 25. That's Solana 25 at the nifty.com slash claim for the free NFT today. Hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Spencer was just telling us about a game, a Japanese game that he was playing. It sounds like until the wee hours of the morning. What's the story with this one? Yeah, you know, it was an arcade game um, and you got four buttons and you hit them in different games to three player games. So really, you know, kind of a complex multiplayer. There was no crypto involved. Um, it was one of those old school kind of arcade arcade games. We we're pounding the buttons, getting them in combinations, all left and right, kind of crazy shit. You wouldn't even believe, you know, if I told you. <laughs> How'd you find out about it? Like, what, what what prompted you to go out of your way to play this game? Well, so as you know, I've recently gotten a car, which in New York is like a big thing. Congratulations, yes. Thank you. And so I was been looking for excuses of like driving around, whipping it, especially leaving Manhattan. And um, so we found last night a barcade that was open in Jersey and went and played this Japanese game there and sort of whipped it to New Jersey. So that was that was my yesterday. And you know what? I, I realized you know, one of the things about living in Manhattan is your sense of price of things that's really warped. Um, and so, like, we were there. We got the tokens were like twenty five cents. It was three of us for like two hours there. We spent like twenty bucks, and I was like, "Whoa!" Because <laughs> if you know anything, you know entertaining yourself in Manhattan does not cost like seven bucks an hour for or three and a half dollars an hour per person. Well, you just okay. can't do it. Not at all. And Clemente's ass is about to learn that when he moves here. He's not a, a lifelong Manhattaner like you are. Um, yeah, when you get the car, dude, it really opens up. There's a lot of stuff you can do outside of town. Nick, what's going on? Well, I'm just wondering, so you you said you got the new whip. Did you ghost ride it right after you got it? <laughs> like you got to initialize, like you, you got to initiate it into your life via ghost ride. What's ghost ride? Well, we can that tell that about ghost riding the whip. Well, Spencer was a wee lad when E40 uh, was, you know, telling people when to go. Uh, and that was happening on the West Coast. Spencer is a New Yorker and he was a, a young lad with an, uh, a very bright future in fencing. I don't know if he really knows about the extent of E40 uh, getting hyphy over in, in Oakland, Nick. Okay, well, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about because there was a viral meme where you would actually ghost ride your car. Yeah, that was because... <laughs> so you see the different things, right? You see the guy that was a tech guy saying it was a viral meme versus the guy that's a hip-hop guy that is pointing out the origination of it. It was E-40 and the hyphy movement in Oakland. Ghost riding the whip was a big thing. Uh, hyphy is not... Uh, when you say hyphy, I, that's something that I'm not familiar with and is not described in the Wikipedia page on ghost riding, I'm going to be honest. 
Got it. Got it. Thanks for letting me know. Well, you're like, it was a viral meme. Yeah, it was a viral meme. It, it got pretty big. But Spencer, we expect you to ghost ride the whip as demonstrated on the, on the screen here. When you can put it in neutral and you hop out and you jump, jump on the hood? <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. So, so you get the car going and then you hop out of the driver's seat and you sit on top of it. While it's, while it's not being controlled. Yeah, like I don't know. Guy, my like my car's got all sorts of fancy beeping stuff. I think if you open the door while it's driving, it stops driving. Yeah, the, the early 2000s cars had different technical uh, specifications. So we, I don't... We, we've lost the technology. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, we've lost the technology. technology. We no longer have technology to do this. This so, is really wild. Pio, did you know? Bus. Did you know in, uh, in the car that we use that uh, you can use hand gestures to control everything inside of the car? I didn't know that. I absolutely despise the new cars. My mom's got a car from like 2014. I like it, even though it's like a Honda, I like it more than the new cars, even if you had like an Audi or, or a luxury new car, because you get in my mom's car, you stick the key in, you turn the key, and then you start driving. It's amazing. It's incredible. With the new cars, you have to like wait, you have to like download an app to get the thing to turn on. You have to like, there's so many buttons. Good God, are there a lot of buttons. I heard a guy complaining on Pomp's podcast about the amount of buttons in a new car. I literally almost spit my coffee out. I was like, I love this guy. This guy is onto something. Well, when we got the car, I literally couldn't like leave the lot from where I was for half an hour. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it took half an hour for me to figure out how to get the car in motion because I was like, well, I want to play my music on here and it's Apple Play. So theoretically, you would expect, oh, I like plugged in a USB cable into it it has nothing to do with usb you're using like bluetooth or something like that in order to get it working or like a local wi-fi network but but it tries to convince you so you don't need the app by the way in order to i, I know the, i'm exaggerating uh yeah but it still does suck and <laughs> for some reason it started working now like i've i've found finally have figured out how to how to use it but the thing that was crazy was so every time i adjusted the dial there'd be like a hand signal that would like pop up and it'd be like, it would be like, go like this. And I'm like, what the hell is this thing talking about? So then I'm like, is that a hand? So I went like this and I'm like, oh shit, you can control the volume. You can do next track with hand gestures Excuse in front me. of the thing, which is the dumbest thing ever. Can you turn the wheel with hand gestures? <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, well, what you do is you put your hand on the wheel and then you turn it. So I like that. I like that hand gesture functionality. Go ahead, Spencer. This is a new thing that I've learned on, on my new car is I, I, I was bugging out about it. I was driving. I was like, I feel like the steering wheel is turning itself. Like, I, don't know, I don't know what's happening. I can't explain this to you. Like, you know, Power when you go steering. on an off ramp oh. and you like hit the thing. Turns out I was, and I was like, but you know what? I must just be like, just like lane guidance. Right? Yeah. Turns out it's some shit called lane assist. And dude, dude that thing is to, crap. I hate that. The reference to like, my last car was a 2003 Toyota Camry with like ah, 170,000 miles on it. So like, you know, I don't know. This is this is a real shift for me. Uh, yeah, that car, a 2003 Toyota Camry is a better car than a 2023 Audi because the 20 uh, the 2003 Camry drives. It just drives. Not only was it a 2003 Toyota Camry, it was a 2003 Toyota Camry with a V6 engine. <laughs> that thing's <laughs> badass. These six engines in the in the in the top trim, and so like truly, 
I, again, and I, I learned this because I had this issue, which is like most of the cars, modern cars that I got in, I got in and I'd drive, and I'd be like, this feels like a toy. Like, this doesn't feel like a real car. And because it turns out that growing up, I'd just been driving a, like, <laughs> a, car a car with a serious engine. Whereas the base model of most, like, luxury cars or whatever is like a two liter fucking engine. And so, you know, there you it go. flies when you put that. What, that that's the best part of the experience of the, of the nice car, except lane, lane assist, you have to turn off. That thing is just complete garbage. Like, it, it, it like beeps at you. You're getting like random things going on. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on in my car, but it, but I keep seeing flashing. Also, it like flashes a, an indicator, well, which shows the whatever their lane assist icon. And I'm just like, what is going on? Is the car broken right now? <laughs> like, well, like, the, the, the crazy thing on mine, this is I really, this is the one I really got to turn off, is that the steering wheel rumbles if you're drifting out of a lane. Yes. Yeah, and that's a really freaky experience to have like haptics in the steering wheel. I don't know who designed that, but I, they need to be fired. I can't do it. I think I'm just also just not a car person in general because like, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, dude, I love cars. It's like, that's not me. Uh, I know a guy that has a vintage car showroom in the Hamptons. And when I went to the Hamptons like a month and a half ago, we stopped in there. Um, and he actually, he asked me how I like the car. And I was like, I got a t it's got way too many buttons. It's out of control with the buttons. And it's so confusing to drive. I want to just drive the car. And he was like, dude, same thing. He said his parents had to like pull over they had a problem with the car you know these are some like greek immigrants that are you know who knows how old he's like dude they were stuck for hours they had to download an app i was like what are we doing here with with the the cars and the apps but anyway he's got the old school cars right so he has like a ferrari over in that showroom from i don't even know what year don't get me wrong it's a beautiful car but he starts it up and i'm like dude can i be close to this thing it feels like it's about to explode with the sound of the engine and then he's like you want to look under the hood i'm like yeah He's like, but I got to raise the hood from the middle because it's it's carbon, whatever, aluminum or something. And it's going to fold if I do it. I'm like, aluminum. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't know anything about cars, dude. I don't know. The Hampton mentioned. I don't mention the Hamptons that often. Dude. We got a commenter here saying I'm keeping the Hamptons mention streak going. We're up to 154 consecutive episodes. I don't talk about the Hamptons, dude. The Hamptons is too expensive. Nick just went there. Yeah. I have talked about the Hamptons. The Hamptons are too expensive. The Hamptons, you know, I don't talk about the Hamptons where I went on vacation that much. And the Hamptons where I saw, <laughs> you know, my vintage car coach. But uh, no, no, I don't talk about the Hamptons. So I just wanted to say real quick, the, uh, there was not a proper, um, there was not a proper analysis here of the, of the ghost ride because the, I, I feel like it was underplayed there. And real quick, I just want to show a couple references. This is, uh, a gentleman putting, put, <laughs> putting, <laughs> <laughs> I pulled up a video. There's a guy that puts a little kid slide from a playground in the back of the truck. <laughs> the guy gets out of the car. Well, he gets out of the car. He climbs out of the window while the car is moving onto the roof of the car and goes down the slide. Goes down the slide. So that's like that. Like the degree to which this like existed. The, this is a guy skateboarding on top of his uh, roof. What like. <laughs> You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of like planking. This has similar vibes to that. Yeah, this is cooler than planking though, because planking that was a weird one. Cooler than planking, but also <laughs> way more dangerous. Or does it magnitude? This is this is before 
This was that era before, like, safety. Um, yeah, I mean, like, basically... Uh, oh, that was that was <laughs> slick. That was slick, ladies and gentlemen. We got a guy. He's climbing out of an old Chrysler minivan. He uh, he brings a skateboard with him onto the roof. He rides the skateboard, kick flips off of the vehicle. I thought the flipper shut. What what it what is that? A three sixty flip maybe. I, I thought it was done. He then gets back on the skateboard and casually uh, just runs back in. I mean, just the confidence. He's done this a lot of times. <laughs> Just jumping into the window. But first back into the uh, video. So pardon me, Pio, if I didn't I, like I, I don't understand the uh, the the music side of it. I think I was seeing it on Vine and there were like all these ridiculous. Uh, there were all these ridiculous clips of people just being complete idiots on top, on top of their car. Uh, and that was like the whole point of, of the entire. And it was just absurdity. As it applied to um, the, these these various memes, I, I think this is probably the best one. Is, is put, put, putting a uh, playground in the back of the guy's truck. It looks like he's in like New Orleans or like Alabama or something like that. Um, well, Noah Noah B said TikTok doesn't risk their lives now the way people did in the '90s. First of all, this is the 2000s. Second of all, I would argue that TikTokers do because they eat bleach pods or whatever. They eat Tide pods and uh, and do strange stuff like that. That feels risky to me. Teen seriously hurt in the ghost ride the web stunt when truck runs him over. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ridiculous. Um, signal in Europe for people ghost riding whips. You guys yeah, got manual I, transmissions over there. Yeah, like I, I, I do not remember this trend when, like, seeing this back in the early two thousands. I don't think anyone was ghost whipping. This is actually the first time I've seen this, like, on YouTube. But I totally agree with Spencer. You could never do this with a modern car because as soon as, like, first of all, this child lock on, like every single door in modern cars like you get into your friend's car and you just can't get out and you're like can, can you let me out so first of all you can't even jump out then you're absolutely right the car will stop if the driver comes out and then if any kind of weight was to go on top of the car like standing on it jumping on it it would stop or it would like change mode you know like how you can change mode for like icy pavement hills whatever it would change mode and just be like does not recognize terrain stop so like so, never seen this happen uh like in london i don't know someone correct me in the comments if you have but i never saw this in the 2000s it it does check whether or not you're seated in your uh uh car now oh, and the seat belt but, and, and the seat belt noise the seat belt noise when you take off your seat belt in the car so yeah that's annoying so this kid got a collapsed lung uh busted shoulder bleeding out of his head <laughs> <laughs> Some casual injuries for for making a little internet video <laughs> from the from the ghost ride the whip uh, sort of approach. So I just feel like that was um, that that's like the content that I came for on the internet was that sort of stuff. Now we just have like drama ensuing. It's like uh, I saw Andrew Schultz drama with one of the Nelk boys basically because. Um, so I, I bl I'm blank. It was it's called like Stewie or Stew. I, I don't know. I don't know the names of the Nelk boys. Steiny, Steiny. There you go. So Steiny, 
I understand, dude. You're, you you watch them while you're drinking your uh, prime energy uh, bunny. He's like a 35 year old man that's obsessed with dude. Happy dads are good. <laughs> so, oh my god. So, so basically, he's uh, Andrew Schultz is being interviewed by him, and Steiny asks him a question. He's like, "Yo, man, like, has anybody in the audience ever said something offensive to you?" And he's like, "Like, have they heckled you?" And basically it's like yeah i'm a professional comic like that's just like part part of the thing and he's like yo you ever tell a, a joke that didn't go well <laughs> and he's like, like yeah and he's like he's like he so he doesn't even respond because he's like i can't tell if i'm being trolled and it and like in the middle of the podcast he's just like what the hell is going on here like i don't understand like are you guys like i feel like you guys aren't even taking this seriously at the end of it, basically, like afterwards, it's like we shouldn't publish that podcast. And, uh, wow. and so, so like it comes out later that like he had said this and um, they just didn't publish the podcast. But there was an interview that one of the Nelk boys were, were uh, in, that they were involved with where basically uh, someone asks them, hey, have you ever like had a podcast that you didn't publish? And they're like, yeah, one of them. <laughs> and they're like, well, what what happened? And one of them tells the story of what went down. And so now this story gets out and everyone's saying like, why don't you publish the podcast? And so uh, he has this uh, episode, Andrew Schultz, where he just literally is like released the video. He tells the story of it, but basically I'm seeing all these like short clips where it actually goes down and he's basically telling Steiny that he sucks. Um, and just... Like, I guess counter trolling him because he felt like he was being trolled. But uh, yeah, the whole situation was like totally ridiculous. I don't even know how I got on that. You're talking about beef. I mean, that is actually interesting, though. The funny that, thing that's is, that's like the content that we're watching now versus like Ghost Ride the Whip, where guys like actually <laughs> doing some funny shit. What well, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. it sounds like to me is, 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 is this is like you guys' equivalent of like, ah, oh, like. Men used to go to war, and now we like X Y Z. You know, trade pictures of monkeys on the internet. Like now, it's like ah, like real men used to ghost ride the whip. Now we just <laughs> use pods and argue about each other's feelings on the pod. Like, it's it's you know, kind of that. Okay, boomers. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's more so. Uh, there used to be good content, and now like somehow we're ma we're like manufacturing this scenario where someone's being insulted. And that that's like the the entertain. It's just like worse content as a result of it. And even back when, uh, like Logan Paul, for example, used to do Vine. So like that was like him trying to be do like comedic content. I didn't enjoy a lot of a lot of the people that were there, but it that was like the format. Now it's like, uh, well, it all worked out till he did that whole suicide thing. But the uh, uh, the the quality has just gone downhill Spencer. So, uh, it's not a boomer thing. It's more of like, you got to respect the quality at that point in time. Last comment on this, I was having breakfast with a group of people this weekend and someone brought up, they were like, man, what was the best decade of music? And like, basically the musicians present, uh, unanimously agreed that it was the seventies. Um, and I was like, really? Okay. And they were like, yeah, there was like, uh, there was like innovation in music. Then there was innovation with jazz, like with, with early jazz. And 
then you had rock dark you dark had, side of the moon by pink floyd i just googled in 1973. yeah so they were referring to like the best pink floyd and some of this other stuff that existed there and then basically you had hip-hop which came which came later 1978 but that's a that's a less pure music that's a remit that's like remix culture versus like what it's being remixed from is the stuff that's coming from the 70s is the is the 70s soul it, music it ends up being used in hip hop, so that's that's the uh, uh, that's where I think they were essentially applying. But anyways, I just was like, I don't, I, I could provide no commentary on it because like these guys are like, yeah, you don't know anything about music. Yeah. Okay, they're professional <laughs> musicians though, and I'm just like, I'm not going to provide any. Like the guy next to me was like, like the '90s, and and uh, they were like, excuse me, like they were like offended when. Uh, he was like, did you like the 90s? And they were just like, oh, my God, this is awful. And I'm <laughs> like, I, I like the 90s. Well, th those are also music industry snobs, it sounds like, which uh, it, that is kind of what you get when you deal with people that work in the music industry. It's never as good as it used to be. Uh, records sound better than digital, this, that, and the other thing. Oh, um, yeah, that, that's some bullshit. But yeah, yeah. The best is when you talk to someone that's been in the music industry for decades, and they talk about like what happened in two thousand and two. Or there's one year where the sales dropped off a cliff, similar to NFT sales completely dropping off a cliff in May twenty twenty two. Basically, everybody in the industry was completely rich, and then they just weren't anymore. Once like uh, digital, you know, basically LimeWire and, and Napster and all that uh, disrupted. I know Napster came way in earlier. Two thousand two. Something like that. Yeah, it's it's one of those years. Napster definitely wasn't 2022. No, no, it yeah, was way it, earlier, but it, but it took not a while. That much earlier. Uh, like I, 1999, maybe 2000. I, I, like, it took I a few it was, years for everybody to catch on and be like, wait, we don't have to buy the things. So, okay, so 99. What did I say? That, what, you're, talking, you're talking to my era. Yeah, this, this is. Point, okay. <laughs> you're talking about Nick's era. Plus the kid that did Napster went to Northeastern. Um, so look, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to discuss the bald token rug pull and the possible connections that people are speculating about on Twitter. We're going to talk about the SEC's latest charge against a crypto founder. And we're going to talk about the D-God season three final date announcement. Signal, can we run with the weather report and then we will get into the discussion? Yeah, absolutely. Welcome, everyone. It is Tuesday, the 1st of August. You've got total market volume pretty steady, 13 million. Blur at, at 9.2, while OpenSea at 2.7. On to leaders, not much change. Apes are still hanging out at 29. Mutants at 5.6. Punk steady at 48. Uh, D-Gods hanging in at 8.6, while Azuki sub-5 again at 4.9. Captain, same place as Azuki, 4.9, while Pudgy's holding nicely at 4.3. Over the past 24 hours, well, bold, uh, to the token bold, uh, which reached 100 million valuation on Coinbase's new chain base, uh, ended up rugging, netting the creator $5.2 million. Uh, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, said as a result of this rug pull, they're going to roll back to the Genesis block. On to PFPs and Frank D. God's announced that was a fake account. This is going to come out on August 9th. Uh, there was some teasing of former former, 
former announcements, which was expect new artwork, beautiful content, big surprises, and a new vision for what the NFT community will be. You got Deagle steady at 8.6, and Utes were up 15% and holding 1.7. Uh, on to Ether, after eventually selling out after they had a bit of a volatile period, uh, the team announced that the co-founder has been let go. Uh, they haven't given a specific reason. We expect this to come out later. We don't know why this is, but after all the troubles of the mint, uh, it's uh, obviously news that the co-founder has gone. And then lastly, the Animoca back project Grapes, which minted out for, it was 0.03 back in uh, early June, is up 104% on the seven day. The team obviously has that collab with Fortnite. They got the token dropping in Q4. They got eight more games planned to drop in the next 12 months. So that floor price just a week ago was 0.48 and yesterday it broke 0.6, went up to 0.63. Uh, so that was been one of the biggest winners of the past week. On to crypto, BTC at 28.8, uh, ETH at 1833, um, Sol hanging out at 23.4, 81.8. Bit of a pullback here, but still looking okay for this week. Back to you, folks. Fantastic. <clears throat> Jesus. Fantastic weather report as usual signal. Uh, one thing to mention, and I think Nick was trying to point that out, is that that tweet actually was not from uh, actually Brian Armstrong's account. It was from a fake account. So you got to love the current joke landscape of Twitter uh, where it's hard to tell whether somebody's real or fake. Anyway, some updates from the Nifty Daily Digest, which is the daily newsletter published from the nifty.com. You can subscribe at the nifty.com. You need to have an account there to claim the free NFTs that we drop almost daily, including today. So go to the nifty.com and make an account. The SEC has charged Richard Hart and his entities Hex, Pulse Chain, and Pulse X for unregistered crypto offerings that raised over a billion dollars. Hart is also facing fraud charges for misusing funds on luxury purchases. Seems like this guy was really living the life when you look at the videos and pictures of him. Nick. He's, he's one of the most insane YouTubers. I, I had a, a buddy who was telling me about... Uh, who used to talk about Hex, he's like, oh, you got to check out Hex. And I end up looking at uh, Richard Hart's YouTube. It's basically him sitting on a throne <laughs> and covered in Louis Vuitton <laughs> apparel. Uh, this is not the the setup. If you go to his account, uh, you should go to his channel because that's not the, uh, the, like, the majority of his videos used to be him just sitting there, just adorned in excessive like items and it was to a degree that you're just like dude this guy is tacky as hell like it, it was it was so whack um th but regardless i mean i don't think it's surprising to see that this uh this happened to him there were a lot of people who were like uh huge hex bulls uh back during that bull run that were just like yo this is the future but that that is actually the story of the crypto space is that like 99% of people you should just not listen to. It, pretty much you shouldn't listen to anybody frankly, but uh <laughs> the, the like the, the majority of people just create a, a a narrative around pretty much anything that exists in the space and they're just like this person is a genius. Well, you I know, actually create in the future. I think what you're really trying to say is Richard Hart became the main character and that's the problem, right? Easy. He became the main character and, and that's the issue here. It's not that he took the money that investors gave him and bought a bunch of luxury cars, Louis Vuitton bags and everything. The problem was that he became the main character. You can never, you can never become the main character. That's <laughs> the issue at hand. He became the main character and it all went south. Um, 
got to be careful. I, I do love the Hex Maxis, though. Like, the, to this day, despite the SEC claims, they're like, Hex is the future. This is where everything will take place. Pulse Chain's only down 99%. There's nothing that could go worse here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's pretty silly stuff. Um, look, next story, Yuga Labs is set to acquire Roar Studios, a company specializing in emerging game or emerging gaming, social media, and the metaverse through advanced AI. And as part of the acquisition, the CEO of Roar, Eric Reed, will join Yuga Labs to spearhead the development and the expansion of the other side platform. To me, very cool acquisition. Sounds good. Uh, if I'm going to quote NFT traders, what does it do for the NFTs? So thank you, NFT traders. I appreciate it. Uh, moving on, we got NFT trading platform, NFT Perp, shutting down their V1 version due to challenges in handling profits resulting from traders heavily betting against NFT prices in July. <laughs> wait a minute. So wait, are you telling me an NFT per platform is shutting down because everybody just shorted NFTs for the whole well, month of July? <laughs> the problem was they everyone was it was basically the only platform you could short NFTs <laughs> on. So you can see look how many people shorted Azuki in July versus uh they were long, so they just were racking up all these profits and, and NFT perp couldn't pay it off. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to start a platform that allows people to short or long <laughs> NFTs, they're always going to short them. So you're going to want to factor that in, that everyone's just going to excessively short every NFT, and they're probably going to be right. So not bad. Last but not least, Doodles has announced the hiring of an artist in residence, which marks the first successful hiring through the Incubator Proposal, a launch pad that was created for Doodles holders to submit proposals and positions aimed at expanding the Doodles brand. So those are your stories from the Nifty Daily Digest. We have to talk about the bald rug pull. Oh, Nick, go ahead. Real quick, before we discuss bald, which uh, my like we're still discussing this. Uh, it, it's basically like it, we we knew it was shit. It's still shit, and uh, we got verification you're missing of it. All, you're missing well, all the backstory of it, which is so much more enjoyable. Well, so we'll get there in one sec. Real quick, though, the we don't have on the show notes anything about this Yuga thing. I think it's actually a pretty important uh, uh, acquisition. And the, the biggest thing associated with this is we saw teasers of this before. And it feels, it's very interesting to observe. Here's the bottom line. They were focusing on the music metaverse side of things. And I just think like uh, Yuga has been focusing on events within this metaverse, which I think is a genius approach to create sustainability for the platform for a period of time which already enables them to usurp like a Decentraland or something like that, which wasn't able to attract the same level of uh, talent into the ecosystem. They have deep relations, uh, relationships in the entertainment industry. They acquire a music metaverse company, basically. And I, so I think there's going to be a lot of like uh, shows that occur in other side land where uh, for, the, for the time being, where you don't need a ton of game dynamics associated with that for the beginning. And instead, you can get people engaging on the platform in the short term while you end up with these high sort of like, uh, you know, with like uh, the mall, the anchor tenants, essentially, is the way. This like is what the they did with Fortnite, though. Like they did concerts in Fortnite where like they did a Travis Scott experience that was like his full, I want to say it was his last album where they did like a full experience for it. They did it with the kid Leroy. They've done it with a few others as well, where you go in, they have this map and this like 
short experience that they play live over like four different time periods that last about an hour. Uh, Marshmallow did one and it's like an event. And I think that that's where you can actually get people to be like, oh, this is sick. It's an experience. And now you take that real world aspect, but give them a digital experience. And it's a one-time iteration. You don't need to do like a full game mode to have people be like, this is awesome. Well, and now you can get stoned in front of your your uh, computer instead of having to like walk over to a concert. You don't have to talk concert. to people in person. You don't have to smell the guy next to you. Now you can just sit there at your desk where you were anyway and just virtually enjoy it. It sounds like a win-win for everyone involved. I love it. Nick? No, I think that this is a big move and it actually gives them uh, milestones and events to keep people excited. In, in term, what What I don't know about is like, uh, how this applies to like the value of the NFTs themselves. Like, and, but we'll find out. The bottom line is, I think they're building something that's interesting. Um, and all their other, uh, all the other, other side is redundant there. The other side, uh, events really, I think, kind of like, um, embrace this sort of, uh, like event based, um, approach to things. And, it's fascinating to observe and maybe there's a way to generate excitement where there's no interactions in between those different events, but they're really building those, uh, those experiences. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, so look, well, let's touch on the bald rug pull. Um, so, uh, Very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, before I throw to easy on this, is this something you participated in Spencer? It's not, um, you know, I am bald, but I do not participate in dollar sign bald. And you know what? Quite, quite frankly, it's, it's really sad to see my community rugged in this way. You know, the bald community with all the other bald community members who were affected here. If you had hair and you got caught in this rug, that one's on you. That one's on you for sure. But if you were bald and you got rugged, you know, I want to, I want to get to the bottom of this. Was the person who issued this bald? There's so many questions here, right? If he wasn't, then that's absolute BS. And that guy, quite frankly, that's those are the charges that they should bring upon him is impersonating a bald uh, developer. I mean, the bald community is definitely outraged at this one. Easy, can you give us the backstory? And then after this, we'll talk a little bit about Richard Hart. We're going to talk about Yuga's lawsuit. And then we're going to talk about D-God season uh, three. So we actually have a lot of meat on the bone today. Easy, what, what do you make of what's going on with B-A-L-D, bald? Yeah, so there's a lot of speculation on if SBF is behind the bald token. Is that just that bullshit, the- though? Dude, so I will say, it. Do, I don't think it was uh, SBF, but I will say it looks like somebody from FTX, there's a chance that they were somehow in ties to this. They were the number one DYDX farmer at the a couple years back. They interacted with the Alameda uh, controller wallets at the time. They interacted with CB.ETH, which is the Coinbase staking ETH, and we're one of the largest holders of it. Um, and then like, what's even weirder is the Serum Twitter account which was the popular Dex on Solana, was repurposed to a milady and was publicly tweeting about this. There's a lot of connotation and tonality that matches like verbiage. Like the use of the word nor was like one thing that someone harped on and how SBF continually used that. A lot of th- people think it's uh, Alex Trubeco, is, I think is the guy's name. Oh yeah, was, the guy that left early. Yes. So a lot of people speculated it was actually him because he was the one that was behind the scenes controlling a lot of like the low flow pumponomics that happened with a lot of the tokens and in a very similar manner in which the LP for bald was deployed. 
So like, there's just a lot of speculation right now on what this is, but there's a lot of things that are like kind of lining up with like the social media uh, applications that were used, where these pages came from, who the people are that are affiliated and the wallet history. Like because the blockchain is public, the wallet has like some scary ties to Alameda, FTX and some really early DeFi stuff that has a lot of people sitting there like, this feels like it's somebody at FTX. It's not SBF because currently I guess SBF doesn't have access to a laptop without supervision from his lawyers and can only use a flip phone. So you can't yeah, okay. shit going from a flip phone. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people that are saying that at the case, but uh, it does like it. My bet is that it's probably somebody from Alameda. Like it's not SBF, but the big thing was the serum Twitter and then the wallet history, which was like really interesting. And just for context, like what happened with the token, it had, I want to say 35 million in liquidity put into the token, which sent the token price up to a hundred million market cap. And then the person basically pulled almost all the liquidity, which dropped it and then injected another 10 million to catch like a secondary pump. So there was four wallets that bought 50% of the token supply early on. They created the liquidity pools. And what happens when you create a liquidity pool is you basically DCA out, which led to them getting a ton of ETH. And they just use that ETH to continue to buy back the token or buy the LP. So it was just like yesterday was crazy on the timeline because you had that, you had uh, the hex situation, you had Curve uh, potentially going insolvent. It was just like everything DeFi and token related was crazy. So what is the deal with the Curve side of things? I'm more interested. In, dude, Bald is just like, uh, yeah, I understand the story is crazy that criminals are doing criminal behavior and that that's what's going on. And there's a bunch of criminals inside in the crypto space. So like, that's nothing new. The, the curve finance side of things though, what, what exactly happened? Was it a deep pegging situation or it was an exploit? Uh, was so it, was, was an it exploit. a pegging situation? <laughs> yeah. So your, your personal preference was involved, uh, but it was, it was a, uh, it was an exploit on the curve liquidity pool that led to, the behind the scenes having some issues. So Curve's pools got exploited. They lost a ton of funds, which caused a DPEG in the Curve price. If Curve trades under 35 cents, then it gets liquidated. And right now there's a ton, because there's actually like, the way people with a ton of tokens get most of their money is they loan it out. So there's a ton of Curve loaned on like Aave and a bunch of other platforms that's not actually backed properly because people just like had a belief that curve would never de peg and that like the liquidity would be fine through the smart contracts. And sure enough, there's issues with it. And now if curve goes under 35 cents, there's a cascading liquidation that'll potentially hit Ave and some others. And late last night, the founder of curve was OTC selling six month locked up curve at 40 cents per. So basically like getting a bunch of the funds to buy back the curve to prevent the liquidation at a, a better value to the dollar. So that's the thing here where it's like there's a ton of like black swan events for DeFi that were uh, potentially avoided last night, which was good. But yeah, it was it was pretty wild to watch unfold in real time. You saw a ton of like other tokens getting sold off. You saw a ton of uh, like curve getting sold into different pools, trying to like basically just get capital. A bunch of other assets that the curve founder owned was selling just to try to recoup this to prevent the liquidation. Dude, Nick's shaking his head. I mean, DeFi is basically like first we had DeFi summer, then we had DeFi's dead. So like, so it it it, it, it goes in. I guess we have a was DeFi summer the year before in it twenty twenty. Yeah, so summer had of twenty twenty. And then we have uh, DeFi dying. 
then you got NFT summer, and now you got NFTs dying. Is the next one NFT summer view too? <laughs> oh yeah, baby. Wait, wait till that one. No, you definitely have a lot of dinguses operating in DeFi still. Uh, well, it seems like a crisis was quasi avoided. Go ahead, Nick. Well, I thought that like uh, earning fifteen percent yield from each other was was like pretty like <laughs> realistic, like, sustainable. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think the future of DeFi is like no BS tokens. Like, I, I don't think that the entities, like, let's say you have a DeFi platform. I think the future is like that DeFi platform doesn't issue their own token. Do you know what I so mean? There was there was Lending Club, uh, which was not a crypto uh, system where you could loan money to other people. So peer-to-peer -peer lending. And eventually they just... That was uh, great. Well, they got rid of uh, the individual loans and instead went to a fully backed uh, commercial-based approach where you had institutional investors funding all the loans because it was a pain in the ass dealing with uh, all the individual lenders. But it was also like the whole interface there was – well, I actually don't know. Do you know what went wrong with that, Easy? You had a lot of defaults because it was a much looser approval rating and a lot of them weren't FDIC insured because it was peer-to-peer -peer lending. So like with Lending Club, like part of it was backed, but it wasn't the full amount. So you ended up getting a lot of situations where people would like lend out money peer to peer and not get paid back. So it just like, okay, it was the lending, the credit, like the person giving the money was the one basically getting screwed every time because with a bank, they can take on more of that risk and be all right. Me giving you a hundred bucks when I have a thousand is a much bigger hit than a bank giving you a thousand when they have 10 million. Like, so I had that happen. So I put a thousand dollars into an yeah. A rated loan. Lost it with a, within a month, basically. Because, and, and then I just used the auto, automated uh, – I was like, what's the default rate on an A-rated thing? Within one month, it defaulted? Like, I'm just oh, it like, was insanely high. That was the wild part was their default rating was like 45% even on their highest. It was stupid how often people would default because the, the checks and balances weren't as like stringent as like an actual bank loan. Could you not get credit? Like, wait, so would it not impact your credit report if you went it in? It would. It would. But the issue was they would approve people with worse credit scores than a bank would for higher I, amounts. I so see. So, like, you could walk in with, like, a 500 credit score and get 2,500 bucks. And, like, that doesn't give a shit at that point. You're just like, sure, I'll take a 50-point hit. I'm not getting this shit anywhere else. And I'm keeping the money. Well, if you're making money on the transaction fees, then you're just, like, letting every loan Everybody, through the system. Everyone. That's the and, and the loans were ridiculous. It was like people taking $50,000 loans to make a baller pool in their backyard. And the application would be like reading. You could read the applications. And I got to say, that was the best part of Hands the entire. The best part. Because you could read like their description of what they were using this thing for. And like if they were applying to a job, you would never hire any of these people basically because – Oh, or or for spelling a loan. Error, spelling errors, terrible grammatic structure. Some people would be like, I just need a car. And that yeah, was like, like the full like, sentence. Like that was like, I just, I need, just a need a car. car. <laughs> and it'd be like a loan for like $1,500. And it's like, what are you buying? Like a 97 Honda Civic with a check engine light? Well, sure. Imagine, imagine what the DeFi instead, if you actually had to write an application and be like, I'm trying oh, to buy God. some more NFTs. And I think there's a lot of upside here. That's like that the guy that just rugged that said, uh, hey, don't worry, guys, I'm going to get you your money back. I just got to go do a 5X shitcoin trading one of, the real best, quick. one of the best things I've ever seen was that. On the base <laughs> chain, the guy took pre-sale funds for a token, posted a three-paragraph essay in which he apologized, tagged everyone who bought into the pre-sale, and said, listen, 
I promise to get you the money back. I'm going to deactivate my account. I'll leave the channel up, but I'm taking this money to shit coins. Give me a couple days to five exit. I'll see you guys soon. And left the, left the telegram. Crypto's different. Spencer, it looked like you wanted to get a word in. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, did you see the thing that the Curve founder spent the, the money on, like what his loan was? So he, it looked like he borrowed like 100 mil For to go house. buy a house. Two, two houses. Please two houses. come correct. Two mansions, not well, one, two. two. Mansions. In Florida, where there's the Homestead Act, which means that basically you can't be, uh, they can't claim your house if you go to jail. So I'm thinking in my mind, the reason he ended up, oh, that one's in Australia. Maybe they have a similar thing there. Damn. That's a nice looking gorgeous house. house. Well, gorgeous it looks house. like a hotel to be completely like, gorgeous. Completely house. Honest. Like it looks it's like a curved castle, house. baby. Curved castle. <laughs> um. So I think I think it's basically like let's go put it in. It's the same thing where like Russian oligarchs and Chinese like uh it, business executives go buy like American property on some of these. Like that's the market for those where they say billionaires row. It, it's like not for the average person to go buy because the prices are so ludicrously inflated. It's really just trying to make a safe haven for those assets. And then even like if the person loses some percentage, it doesn't matter. But cool. yeah, what are you going to say? I was going to say like the, the interesting thing about all this though, right? Like we're, we're saying, sitting here and being like, ah, like DeFi is not working, but like actually like DeFi is kind of working perfectly, right? Like, like this is the thing that you got to think about. Like what are the outcomes here, right? Is Curve had issues Owning the Curve token was a speculation on the success of Curve as a company. Obviously, when Curve had issues, the price should go down, right? The founder of Curve was able to take a loan against his Curve because Curve had a price and people were speculating on it. And, the type, and lending against it was the type of exposure, I guess, somebody wanted via Aave, right? And now in the free market, this Curve may get liquidated. He's you know trying to buy it back so that it doesn't. So there's incentives there for him to try and repeg it with the wealth that he has. like. Uh, you know, if if you see this as a failure of DeFi, like this is a failure in DeFi, but within DeFi, this is like exactly how all of this stuff is supposed to work, except for the curve pool, which had the exploit, right? And so, like, this uh, is kind of interesting. You know, yeah, what I mean? we all get thing, fucked, though. basically. But no, yeah, there's the one weird thing was how much he was able to take as collateral against curve tokens. That's where this like actually was like a bad situation was you have like Ave and other lenders that took on a bunch of curve when there's not actually enough liquidity for it because the creator of curve holds so many tokens that they were giving him unreasonable rates on it. So like, that's the other issue is like they gave him way higher value to the tokens just purely off like a gentleman's agreement because they were like, you're not going to default on this. Like it's your own company. And that was kind of like the issue here is what led to this potential cascade was they gave him way too high a value on these curve tokens when there's not enough liquidity across curve in general to support it. Well, it was definitely a gentleman's agreement because if women were involved, <laughs> Got it wouldn't have happened, right? Signal, am I right? <laughs> yeah, of course, it wouldn't have happened because we all take less risk. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I don't know. It just it, there's, there's something about this period right now uh, where it just seems like so much um, just shit is in the system and it just needs to be flushed out including like uh platforms which obviously their collateral and risk management isn't up to par uh you've got meme coins just rugging over and over again and it just feels like like we'll get past this eggplant period of summer and then finally we'll have some tangibility and like like serious 
seriousness come back. Um, the meme coin thing, like it, it just seems like, like it's it, it's kind of like sprinting into a burning building. The building's not on fire, but if you get out first, you got out with profit. It's okay, you got out with your life. But your friend that heard about it three days later gets into the building, and then it just collapses on him or her. And that's kind of what it feels like. It's just like you have to be the fastest swimmer in the meme coin race. And the people I know who like who, who do it and are good at and who are good at it as well, even they find it fatiguing after a while. Like on their mental health as to like how taxing it is even though they're making profits on it because right now the profits are in coins it's not in nfts i'm hoping that flips back after like this lull period yeah i mean there's insane profits in coins if you happen to gamble on the right bs little coin um we can move on from this at this point if we want to cover Richard Hart anymore. I mean, I didn't know that his, not Clemente saying no, Clemente, what are you thinking? The, the, I mean, the only funny part about Richard Hart is the fact that this guy bought the, the dark, <laughs> in the SEC filing chart, they said he bought the darkest diamond in the world, or the most black diamond in the world using the uh, the funds from the, the project. But uh, um, you got to see the video I just shared, by the way. He uh, used $12 million of investor funds to buy luxury goods, specifically Louis Vuitton. And if you see this video, he's walking out of a Louis Vuitton store with yeah. six bags. Everybody one knows in his this. Mouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one in his mouth is the best part. He's like meandering through the doorway, and he just he, he goes down the street with a bag in his mouth. Like Yesterday, <laughs> we saw the guy for a $20,000 dog costume. This guy's walking as a human with a bag in his mouth. As if you were a dog. To so, to be fair, Spencer's done this before. This is something Spencer's actually done is like walked out of a high-end store and had so many bags he had to put one in his mouth. So this isn't that weird, right, Spencer? I, <laughs> I ain't done this. This is kind of crazy. <laughs> the crazy thing, too, is not only is he carrying all those bags, but every item he's wearing from head to toe yeah. is is looks like Gucci. Like a full Gucci fit in a Louis Vuitton. Full Gucci fit in a backpack to hat to socks, and he pulls out in the Louis. He's like, I have enough Gucci, so I'm going to Louis. And then after this, we're going to hit Saks Fifth. My man said, I got 12 M's, and none of it's mine, but we're going to spend it like it is. It, I mean, well, it was always like, I'm like, dude, you're, you're pumping the bags of someone who's on screen. <laughs> Like just drenched in like luxury clothes, and and you're like, yeah, this is the guy I want to get behind. That was the thing that I never understood about the hex uh, hex bulls. Like well, just, you know, to his credit, it does seem like he had a guiding hand getting LVMH into the space, right? Without him, <laughs> you know, if we would have seen the Louis Vuitton other side collab, would 10 KTF be giving us duffel bags? I don't know, right? Like this inspired a whole movement because if you're an exec at Louis and you see that video, you say. Fuck! I need to get into this crypto stuff because <laughs> those people like to spend. Right? I think you're right. I think you're right, Spencer. The problem is that's like getting a player on your team that doesn't really even play very many minutes. It's like it doesn't really matter that Louis Vuitton's in the yeah, space. His dad, big donor of the program. Okay, you know, okay. you got to get him in there. Well, yeah, at least get him a jersey. But the best comment here, best comment here is Richard Hart showing how crypto DeFi works. Basically, you put your money in, they go spend it, and then you're just good to go. So, <laughs> Kind Even of. better is when they was when the FBI, whoever, whichever authority comes to seize the assets, they're only seizing depreciating assets because they've spent it all. They haven't even invested it into like anything that's going to go up. So it's actually quite a good idea that he's going shopping 
and just buying stuff that he wants rather than stuff that would actually go up in value. It's a good move. And I love that I love that security card doesn't even bother to open both doors. He just opens one and just be like, you can waddle out of here. Yeah, you figure it out, you D-bag. Um, look, Spencer, I would love to know, we got a couple tom- topics here, but I always enjoy having Spencer on the show. I would love to know, to you, what do you think is worth discussing? What do you think is interesting in crypto and NFTs today, August 1st, you know, in eggplant month, as Signal has coined it, what 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 is interesting to you? I'll be honest with you. The most interesting thing to me going on right now in NFTs is the dick butt stuff. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure you guys have covered it. We talked about day. it yesterday. I mean, uh, I'd love to hear your take on it. My take was it's not usually great for price if the quote-unquote community is going to take over it and there's a mint on the way out, but, but I'd love to hear what you're thinking. Well, so this is the question, right? So like the obvious corollary here is the Sartoshi MFers thing, where yes. Sartoshi left it to the community. But it's not quite the same, right? So because um, it's being handed off, not like just back to the community, but to a specific person. And also there's interesting incentives here, right? Like on the way out, there's a big exit liquidity, of course. Like like the, the mint right now is like, you know, it's a lot of money getting given on the way out. Yep. But also like the mechanism by which it's being handed off maybe incentivizes like value to accrue to other NFTs in the collection. So it's not purely extractive in the sense of like once it does mint out, you have 30 days or there's some sort of game where people are accumulating assets, right? And so that is kind of interesting. And then you've also got to think like it really matters who ends up with it what the view of this is because there are people who could end up with this that are incredibly bullish right there are people who could end up with this where it's like yikes you're the person who Um, who would be an example of someone that could end up with it where you know it's incredibly bullish to me incredibly bullish means suddenly they're they dedicate their life to building crypto dick butts i'd love to know who who wants to do that this is the most ludicrous situation yeah they built something where the game is sweep the floor so that yeah. that's the game. So pump pump the price, although it's gone down fifty percent. So so far that game is a losing one. And then uh, additionally, they're just taking all this money. Yeah, they made it more dynamic. Yeah, it's interesting. If anything, this is more uh, innovative for those who are interested in rugging to 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 gain inspiration from to figure out an effective way to do it in which some portion of the community uh, without smoking crack. <laughs> P- believes that this actually is uh, well, I mean, f- good for all. I mean, like, <laughs> look, you, you got to say this too, right? Like if you've made an IP that has the same power of dick butts, like I don't think you can call it a rug, right? Like, like you can say they didn't execute on much, but the truth of the matter is that like there's a very limited number of NFTs that have held a one ETH floor through the bull market or higher. Now, sure, they've dipped below one ETH on this announcement, but like, this is like, I mean, I don't know, like, I think there's a fair degree of the market that views dick butts as like, sort of like a crypto punk s thing if crypto punks weren't acquired by Yuga, right? Like, what are the OG pixel art? It's like, you have dick butts and you have cryptodes, right? And what do you think does the best after, like, in, in that market? So, so Silent Garden from Mosa are the same person, right? So the largest holder of dick butts is Andrew Kang from Mechanism Capital. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't seem like... I think he personally wants to take on the collection. He may donate his votes in support of someone else. Like, there's kind of a whole game going on behind the scenes. And I'll, I'll say this without tipping too much of what's going on here. There are some really serious players looking to be the person who has dick butts, right? 
this is an interesting asset. This is an interesting project. This is an interesting thing where like, what is, like, I don't think some, the person who gets dick butts at the end of the day should roll out a big roadmap, right? Like this is maintenance and continuance of a collection that probably is benefited from doing less versus more. And it's also something that like is just meme enough but but maybe it doesn't have staying power. Like I don't know, but it wouldn't be shocking if it does, right? Do you own dick butts? We do own some dick butts. I think we've bought some since this capitulation. Like it, it, people are pretty split, split, right? Like there's fifty percent of the OGs that I've talked to are like selling out. Fifty percent are like you know trying to buy more. I don't really know what's going to happen here. It's also kind of interesting to watch the open edition not mint out, right? And so that's like still being like not open edition. Sorry, the the season four. Like still in the process of minting. Well, so look, if the you talked about it, it could be bullish. And, and when you speak, Spencer, just please keep the mic a little bit closer to your mouth. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, all good, all good. Uh, but what I was going to say is, uh, if the if someone from Sotheby's or somebody from Christie's or somebody from the traditional art world ended up taking over the project, to me that's bullish because I talked about this on the show yesterday. There's only a couple of different ways that these digital collectibles can go. The bet with Dick Butts is the bet that it'll be treated as like a high end, you know, Fabergé egg type collectible, like CryptoPunks, which it's not impossible. We saw it with CryptoPunks, but it is a big uh, thing to have happen for literally Sotheby's to be like, and the next, you know, the next collection with the bold fund manager like we talked about before like going once going twice there's a dick butt on the wall who wants to spend a hundred thousand dollars on the dick butt like that's the reality which guys i don't think is impossible but i do think that you got to kind of go full full speed towards that reality for these things to have value like you said spencer we're not talking roadmaps we're not talking startups we're not talking video games we're not talking any of that stuff we're talking like you know legendary collectible you know uh like provenance on the blockchain, all this stuff, right? And so to me, you're, you're trending towards traditional auction houses wanting to auction the thing. And it's just a tough thing to create. From one rug pull to the next PO, Ether, uh, one of the co-founders <laughs> is gone. Oh um, dude, I mean, the, like how, how many projects? I got to be honest, a public exit is better than just sort of wondering like, well, what happened? Like what, 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 what went on there? So that is better when they make some, like it's, it's when your strategy, think about how much work went in to them figuring out how to print more cash on the way out. Spencer, that's like the one, my one issue yeah. with this is like all of their, they did zero innovation during the time and you're call and we're calling it an art collection. But in the midst of all of that, they're like, Ah, let's go see if we can go make a couple million dollars real quick by dropping another thing before we announce that we're we're uh, leaving this whole thing. That's my main like the roadmap. There was one, and the road there was one milestone on it, and it was literally launch something to sell more so we can get the fuck out of here, basically. Which is like the 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 most as far as I'm concerned, like the worst roadmap item you you can have. Now it's better than fade silently into the night. We see a lot of collections doing that where there's just, you're not hearing from them. It's not clear what's going on. There's no updates coming from them whatsoever. So out of nowhere in the, in the bear market resurfaces, the, the, the massive dick butt co uh, community uh, for them to rally behind this. That, that's my main issue with it. In this case, in the case of Ether, uh, I think that um, apparently one of the co-founders is gone. I mean, that, that's just 50% of the way there the next guys like 
cleaning up the house. You know, like he's like he's like still doing like vacuuming a little for for the next person that they uh, that they donate this to the uh, community with because that's that's where we're headed. Maybe they roll something out in the process and pull a little bit, find some inspiration from Dick Butts so they can then go into this thing. That's just the only thing about it that's like at least Larva Labs, like Larva Labs did it the exact perfect way possible. They masterfully executed this. No one's saying they're still at Christie's. They're speaking at those events. They're attending those they events. They deserve to. They deserve to speak at those yeah, events. Yeah. And and CryptoPunks, CryptoPunks, I think, it like kind of defines all of it basically. And then some of the generative art that they did as well. Uh, but they they were able to just like there's been nothing since then. Um, and they're just chilling. And that and basically that's like kind of the best way to handle it potentially. Um, but in this case, like I think uh, you know, some of these other projects make promises and instead rug pull. So it's hard to be a historical rug. Like that that's what we're aiming for now. My question is where does Ether fall on the ranking well, of historical I don't rugs? Think I don't think those three names should even be in the same sentence. Like <laughs> crypto punks and 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 ether. Uh, ether, I think, you know, it's a bit of bad luck on their side, but it's also the strategy that they chose to take. They chose to take a very mysterious strategy of deleting tweets and not having a lot of communication that was happening inside the Discord. So if you weren't in a Discord, you could only judge a project on what you saw on Twitter. Uh, then they had obviously the minting problems and now the co-founder is gone. So there's been just like a continuous, um, just continuous lack of communication. And then to say that we're not going to explain what's going on with the co-founder uh, um, co until we're ready. And that type of communication on top of everything else, it just compounds to be like, well, what is going on in this project? And, you know, people don't have time to be in every single project to know what is happening the art and the updates and uh, the roadmap of every single project. So it's so important that projects which are there communicate on Twitter what is going on so that people can easily understand. Dick Butts, on the other hand, I agree. I have like two ways about it. I'm like, don't really like how this is exiting out. But on the other hand, could this, I don't think it's going to end up being a fine art collectible, but could this go the way of something like Pudgy Penguins where you had Luca come in and you know, re-strategize there or only force where an entity came in and re-strategizing there. So I think like with dig parts, there are still many different paths that the project can take. And I wouldn't just sort of knock it out the park and say that it's it's a total rug. I think change of management and change of, of leadership is going to be important for how successful they are going forward. And then punks are just punks. Like they shouldn't even be in the same sentence as the other two projects. I think they masterfully... Uh, where they were masterfully acquired by Yuga and professionally acquired, even though they also had a period where the founders went very quiet and weren't really communicating what was going on. And all, all, the only comparison I'm making is there's one goal for 99% of people in this space, make as much money as humanly possible and get out with, with no uh, obligations with, at with, all, with no obligation, basically, and do that within a uh, a 24 month yeah. period as tight as possible period. nick i mean as, as yeah as fast as possible and so that that's my main uh the the comparison punks is it collectible you're correct should not be compared at, at in any way to to uh you, like crypto dick butts potentially 
or uh, even worse, uh, Ether. Like it, it's just incomparable. But the, uh, what what I'm simply speaking about is just like the goal. Look at some of the artists in the space, basically. Like the goal is how do I make as much money as possible with no obligation whatsoever and get to just travel the world and call myself an artist basically <laughs> without doing jack shit else for like periods of time. That's the best life ever. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I'm saying it should be your goal. Like your goal should be to figure out how do I do as little work as possible and make insane amounts of money. And so that's what a lot of people in this space have optimized for. Unfortunately, many of them have done it in like in like they they've borderline across. Yeah, they've messed up basically. Criminal. They've, they've tripped over themselves basically. And so, like Richard Hex, be uh, or, or whatever his last name is, uh, it's it's like Richard Hecht, and it's called Hex, but wh whatever it is. The bottom line is that guy, you know, he he was like, how he he took the the like excessive criminal approach, where he's not even like, he's not even like a mafia person who's like, you're not you're, like the goal of a mafia person is not to be seen in front of people, but to be fabulously wealthy. The someone like him. He's like on social media. He's the dapper Don. He's the dapper Don. So he's just being an idiot, like so associated with it. And uh, I, I think that there's like different categories of people trying to figure out what is the exit path. So, to be clear, we all have exit paths in mind in one way or another. I just think that a lot of people mess that up. And, and, and that's where they didn't, they didn't start with the end in mind. They didn't figure out what that transition was going to look was going to look like. And so now we have a bunch of these projects. I think CryptoPunks for example or Larva Labs, they didn't start with the intention of being like we're going to rug a bunch of people. They gave away the punks for free. They didn't make any money off of the thing. It's basically. it's just like, so different. I mean, it's it's so early. It's like 2017, 2018 and they're basically like, look at how cool this stuff is that you can do with this Ethereum blockchain. Like this is pretty cool. It's totally yeah. different. It's not even yeah. comparable at all. Uh real quick, we got General Pudge on stage. We had a lot of fun letting somebody on stage yesterday. General Pudgy, excuse me, the Pangu protector. Uh, uh, is a longtime listener of the show. Uh, he's someone that I follow on the show. He's a champion of Pudgy Penguins, uh, which is a collection that a lot of people on this show have exposure to. And obviously, Luca has been on the show multiple times. But General Pudgy, you requested to speak. I confirm that you do not own any crypto dick butts before I let you on stage. What's going on, General Pudgy? How you doing? Hey, good morning, P.O. Doing good. Yeah, I just want to add, I mean, obviously, I don't think you can you know, compare CryptoPunks to crypto dick butts, you know, in the same realm at all. But uh, as even as a non-holder, you know, I think long-term, uh, 1D equals 1B. And like I said in the comments, like Andy Warhol peed on metal and sold it for millions of dollars. So I don't think it's out of the crazy realm of possibility for long-term one day for crypto dick butts to be considered in the fine art realm. I mean, if you look at the outlandish, like people pieces that sell for millions and shit like that, like, I don't think it's that crazy. I think cryptodes and crypto dick putts have earned their place in OG Pixar NFTs long term. Now, does that mean price go up? You know, short term, no. Price probably go down. But I think going like in the long term, like you know, art collectors and NFT collectors will, you know, would want those cryptodes and the crypto dick putts in their portfolios. Personally, at least I know I like I would. Yeah. So. 
you know, that's a fine thesis to have. You're saying that you think it's going to be fine art. And literally at Christie's or Sotheby's, they're going to ha- bang the gavel and there's going to be a crypto dick butt on the wall, which I'm not saying is impossible at all. But that people just need to understand that is the bet. The bet is literally that, that it's like regarded as fine art like crypto punks are, you know, and Fidenzas and, uh, you know, whatever, the goose, you know. Go ahead, Nick. One of the biggest bulls was Noah, who worked at Christie's. He was a big fan of uh, dick butts. I remember uh, I had hosted a dinner, and he was at it, and he was talking about it. I Look, I actually think there is a possibility that that, that exists. I still think, though, that their approach to, to leaving feel like it just leaves a little bit of a sour taste. That doesn't have – I don't know if that has an impact at all on the uh, overall uh, – like on the first editions of the of the dick butts, time will tell. I owned one for a period of time and then realized that, that it was a, a short term pump and uh, sold it. Uh, Sergito had uh, successfully called a pump, and uh, I think we made some money while we were at Christie's. Yeah, there we you were go. At Christie's Art Tech Summit, I bought it on my mobile phone. That was last year, right? That was last year. Uh, real quick, the other thing to mention is this stuff just takes a really really long time which I'm totally comfortable with, but 99.99% of the NFT space is very uncomfortable with things taking a very, 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 very long time. Um, there you go. So N- Nifty Nick buying a crypto dick butt NFT looks like, when When was this, Clemente? Long time ago, last year. Bought it for 1.79 ETH, sold it for three ETH, made, looks like a couple thousand bucks, grand. baby. Yeah. yeah. That's a W. We take those. W's. That's what it's all about. There used to be so many W's in the in the bull market NFT space. Um, very, very interesting to see the current climate compared to then. I've been saying that this is undoubtedly uh, the bottom. I don't know where in the bottom, but it's it's somewhere in there of the NFT market if the crypto bottom was the FTX debacle. That's where we're at now. Clemente, you unmuted? What's going on? Oh, no, nothing, nothing. I was just bringing up the uh, Nick's, Nick's W. Uh, Congratulations, Spencer. Any any uh, other things you wanted to add? <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I just, wasn't a loss, Clemente. I'm just curious to see this all play out. And you know, I guess your ether comparison is interesting, right? Like, um, I think what I'm looking at is ether versus Valhalla, right? Where you still have Valhalla. I think it was similar as like an anime project that, like, I don't like. I have a trouble putting a thesis on, but like has maybe a decent team like an okay art and like you know they have 9000 supply which is like twice twice what um ether has right now or you know actually because ether has the unreal caps they have 9000 supply but they have 0.31 floor price versus ether sitting at 0.07 and this is like a big question is like we've just seen very few nft anime projects do well and a lot of them has gone this way and so the question is like what makes a project emanable, I think, right? Whereas, like, I'm saying I think uh, Crypto Dick Butts is probably a pretty good MA target. I There might be a great custodian that comes after it. I'm not as sure that, like, if Ether team were to be like, hey, you know what, we lost our main team members, there's a lot of FUD, we don't want to do this anymore, we want to sell the project. Like, if that happens, which I don't think is, like, unreasonable, right? I think this is where we're going to be at. For most of the NFT space, is a lot of these projects are the founders are just going to toss their hands up and say, we don't know what to do. We're not making money off royalties. We don't want to do another uh, mint. And by the way, I don't think it's a bad thing, right? Like I think rather than just doing more and more mints, because you're like, we, we can't make money off royalties. We don't know how this is going to work. We can't get the floor price to go up, right? Like projects being like, okay, we don't know what we're doing. Let's sell the project. 
think we're going to see a lot of that. So that's the cleanest exit. The cleanest exit for anyone is if you sell the project, you have an acquirer, the acquirer runs it well, comes your bags. You look at someone like Full Ethereum, right? Who founded Pudgy Penguins, where like he had, for someone who probably shouldn't have been running a project, and I think he's admitted that, right? He should not have been running a project. He was like 18, didn't know what he was doing, right? Like he shouldn't have been running a project. He had the cleanest exit of someone who shouldn't have been running a project. Yes. Right? In that he sold to somebody else, that person's overperforming, his community did fine, right? And he, he made had his money. exit with his, he made, so he made great money. His exit was the sale of the company, right? And so this is where like, I just don't know if Ether has been built up enough to sell. Whereas like Dick Butts has existed for long enough and sustained price for long enough that like it is reasonable for the founder to sell it, right? And I, I, I just, this whole M&A thing will be interesting. Now there's a very limited pool of like good buyers, but they exist in the market, right? Like we saw, you know, ex-executives from Binance come and buy Oniforce, right? That was like a good buyer of that product. We saw Luca come and buy Pudgies. He was a good buyer of that project. And so, you know, this is where like, what does an anime project have to do, for example, to make itself an acquisition target? I don't know, right? Like that, I, I don't know that Ether's done it yet. I would say Valhalla would probably be a better acquisition target. Like if you were to step in, there's a, there's a short list for me of like, if I were to acquire an anime project, like who would it be? And I'll tell you probably the, the top of my list is like old rugs, right? Like uh, there's a product called like the Sevens that I think would have been like a good, like they actually cool art. Hard rug that came out actually before, no, right after Oni Force, right after. Right after Oni Force, I think, right? Like there's hard there are, rug. The thing about anime that's challenging though is there's just a lot of like anime products that existed at some point. Yep. Right. And so how are you the historic rug? I mean, obviously, Oni Force was was probably the most historic of the anime rugs, right? Another but hard like, rug, yep. You know, <laughs> do you think of like Cryptodes as a historic rug? I don't no. think it was a rug because there was it's never a, a roadmap. It's right? an, no, that's that's an art is thing. MFers hard a historic rug. Right there. rug? Uh, I, I I think uh, well, <laughs> first of all, this makes me very uncomfortable. So th the reason why is because. On this show, we've identified things that we felt had the potential to not be legitimate business uh, ventures in the NFT space time and time again. And every time we've pointed out that perhaps one of these different entities was not a, uh, you know, um, really promising business venture, the audiences of said entity get quite furious and uh, write nasty messages, suggest that we're completely wrong. Then two to four months goes by, and it turns out that we were completely right to different levels of extremity. And by the way, this is not us saying that we're oracles or, or geniuses. It's more so that 90 plus percent of the ventures in this space have not been, uh, you know, that legitimate. And so I think of uh, one that I'm comfortable naming at this point because I think the broader market has completely accepted that it was a scam is the Momo Guru collection, which I actually need to give credit to Nick. Uh, I was like, well, they have an Emmy award winning team. Maybe they can do something. And Nick was like, what? Like, this is trash. And like this, that, and the other thing, this thing was hyped up. This thing minted for a high price. It pumped to North of one ETH. And now it's at 0 0.009 ETH. And my assumption is there has been not anything out of the team. I'm sure someone will respond and say, the Momo Guru team is quote unquote building. I'm sure I will get that response. But I'm just starting to get very uncomfortable, you know, uh, pointing out entities in the NFT space that are not legitimate business 
ventures or seem to not be getting backlash from the audience. Then months go by. It turns out it was a rug pull and no one comes back and says, you know what? You guys were actually right. People still just hate you afterwards. They just hate you anyway. Well, there's not. So, so here's what deal is audience. Next time that I'm talking shit about some NFTs that you want, take a note. Write that down. So somebody in the in the comments on YouTube said they're still building. And, and, when, and, when, and when you obviously they they no he that. he said they they made a video game. He's dead serious. They're still building. Well, there you go. I mean, these things look they do look like shit um, in terms of the design. But anyway, it just makes me very uncomfortable. I didn't get to finish my my uh, statement because I was so rudely interrupted. Which is, I want an apology. <laughs> You're not going to get one. I, I, I deserve an apology. So that's what I'm saying. If you see me at an event and uh, like all, all that I, all that I want from you is saying, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Come over, say, sorry. You know, I fucked up. I bought something that you faded, Nick. You're right to fade 99% <laughs> of projects. You were right. Uh, so anyways, it, although, um, and speak for yourself, P.O., you may not be an oracle, but your boy, your boy is, Nifty is, Nick is. Is, is, uh, is a failure well, oracle. Well, look, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this was our show. Big, big, big shout out to Spencer joining the show today. We're trying to figure out, uh, you know, like having a Spencer day, a kicks day, a no day, things like this. So we appreciate everyone bearing with us while we iron out these um, these different structures to shows. But it was great having Spencer on. We'll get more mic time from him uh, next time. We're figuring this stuff out. If it's your first time listening, this show happens Monday through Friday, starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. It's available on Twitter spaces, Apple and Spotify podcasts, and also YouTube if you actually want to watch the video stream of the show. Uh, so make sure you subscribe on all those different platforms. Just do it. And we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Oh, we got a free NFT. This is the final free NFT in the Long Live Solana series. This is the cover of the series. Um, so put in the code Solana25 at the nifty.com slash claim. The code is Solana 25 and appreciate everybody listening. Go to the nifty.com and claim that free NFT and we will catch you tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, yeah, we'll be back.